Good morning, Evangel. Good to see you here. What a gorgeous day it is outside, isn't it? That in and of itself is reason to be excited and to be able to worship together. But why don't we stand together and let's sing and let's worship the creator that made this day. Stack is your name. 
morning. You're here and the King is here and that's a great combination. Amen? Amen. Good to see you this morning. Why don't you take a moment without leaving your seat, just turn, say hi to someone, wave, uh, smile, even though, you know, they can see it with your eyes. Yeah, they can see it with your eyes. So make sure you do that this morning before you're seated. Thank you. You may be seated. So glad you could be here with us today. I want to welcome those of you who have gathered in to be a part of our service today. And also want to welcome those of you who are watching from somewhere else. We're glad that you could join us too and to be here as a part of this day together. Just want to remind you at the end of the service today, uh, we are, you know, in this time of not being able to connect as we once could, we've tried to find creative ways to give a little bit of opportunity at least for uh, just connection and visiting uh, in a safe environment. So at the end of the service today, when we exit the building, uh, the ice cream truck will be here today for the second time this summer. And um, I wish you could get so excited about like other things as you do the ice cream truck, but I understand it. I understand it. I miss so many times when our kids were little, you know, the front door would go swing out and all you'd hear is ice cream truck, ice cream truck, ice cream truck. And they're going up to their piggy banks and they're getting the money out, right? It's something exciting about an ice cream truck. I get that. So today we're going to do that. You can go outside, you'll get your ice cream. You can visit outside for each other, uh, with each other a little bit outside there and enjoy that time together. And it's a beautiful day, right? Just that Goldilocks day, right? Not too hot, not too cold, just, just right. So glad you're here. Kids, grade uh, JK to grade five, if you could just go around the back and up the side. And parents, just to let you know, there's something new that we'll be doing at the end of the service today, and that is, uh, instead of just sort of releasing your children at the door and letting them kind of try to find you, we're going to ask you if at the end of the service, if one parent can just come up here and just kind of space out, and we'll like release your children sort of one at a time to you and uh, make sure that we, we can do that safely as we exit today. Well, those are all of the announcements. Just hand it back to Carlene. Enjoy, uh, continue to worship, and and, uh, and I'll see you shortly. I admit, and I've admitted this to you before, I sometimes struggle singing songs like we just sang because they seem so audacious to me that we can say, oh, the king is here, the king is here. And yet it's truth. Scripture tells us very clearly that our king, the lover of our soul, our savior, that he does not leave us. He is with us, whether it's in a corporate setting like this or on our own. And we have the right to stand in that place of grace and to fully claim and believe that the King is with us. Sometimes I think it's easier for us to, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm such a worm, and we actually aren't worthy. We really are just worms. But the lover of our soul looks at your heart and at mine, and he calls us beloved. It was his love of you and of me that allowed him to take his son and send him to the cross to pay a price he knew we could never pay. And so this morning, it's that strange mix of standing in that audacity, of saying, you're here maker of the universe you are here and I'm gonna look in your face and balancing it with 
I have no right to look in your face, but there is a call in my heart that compels me to do nothing less than to bow at your feet and say, I don't have anything of worth other than myself. And even that is only of worth because of what Jesus did for us. So in these next minutes, I invite you to find that place where you, with audacity, walk into his presence, where you stare at his face, where you look in his eyes and have it bring a change into your heart. And we will do so with the full awareness that we have nothing to bring but ourselves. Spirit of God, we want to worship in spirit and in truth this morning. And each of us brings robes that are not particularly clean and righteous. Our humanity just stains it. And so Jesus, in the beautiful freedom of your grace, we ask that you would forgive us of our sin. We ask that your righteousness would be ours. We want to sit at your feet. We want to give you ourselves again. We want to have hard places in our hearts softened and cracked open. We want to be made more like you. And in these moments, Spirit of God, would you anoint us to worship our King in both spirit and truth.
scripture reading today is found in Luke chapter 10 and we're reading verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? 
tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Carlene, Chris, and Luke, for leading us this morning. Recently, Jennifer and I were away, and we decided to enjoy a nice dinner on a restaurant patio. The patio was relatively quiet, which made observing others, um, you know, when they're dining much easier. Now, I don't know about you, but I really like to observe what's happening around me and what people are doing when I'm, when I'm out in public. And so closest to us, there were a group of 11 people. I have a lot of details about this group. There were a group of 11 people, but because of COVID restrictions, they couldn't all sit at the same table. So there was a table of seven, and then next to it, with spacing in between, was a table of four. Now, at the table of four, there was a mom and a dad and two children. The family had gathered to celebrate, obviously, what seemed to be a milestone birthday for their father-slash-grandfather. And so the family was enjoying their visit when one of the grandchildren from the table of four presented the grandfather with a gift bag. And the whole table went quiet and there were awkward looks on their faces, especially the grandchildren that were at the table for seven, which led me to believe that somehow ahead of time it was decided that no one was going to bring gifts. This was not a gift-giving moment or else they just completely were, you know, insensitive to that. But I, I suspect that that was decided and that someone either didn't get the memo or, uh, you know, they ignored the memo. And so the grandfather reached into the bag and pulled out, of course, a plaid shirt. Now, since it was a plaid shirt, and a plaid shirt is a default gift for any dad, we all know that, it's a default gift for any dad or grandpa, and the truth is requires not a lot of effort and creativity to buy your dad or your grandfather another plaid shirt. Uh, the family quickly recovered from the awkwardness and continued to chat. Oh, it's just a, just a plaid shirt. You know, we, we can move past that. That was until grandchild number two from the table of four presented her gift. And as the gift emerged, it was, it was evident that much more had gone into this gift. It was handmade. A framed Scrabble board with the names of all of the grandchildren spelled out with tiles crisscrossing the board. Grandpa's eyes moistened as the gift giver's accompanying commentary, because you know there's always a commentary with a good gift, revealed that it had taken her six weeks. Now, I'm the skeptic, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I could have done that in like two hours. But, you know, good, good on her. Six weeks it took her to creatively complete this very, very personal and special project for her grandfather. 
And with each moment of her explanation and the subsequent appreciation that was coming from her grandpa, the other grandchildren just wilted in awkwardness and embarrassment, wanting to disappear, but there was nowhere they could go. Grandchild number two was clearly the winner of the best gift contest. No question. Now today we're going to consider what is for many a familiar story in Luke. The story of Jesus visiting the home of Martha and Mary in Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. Now often we interpret this story through the eyes of who is giving the better gift. Who's giving the better gift? Concluding that Martha's gift of hospitality paled in comparison to Mary's gift of attentive time spent with Jesus. Now, I would like to suggest today that there is far more to this passage than that simple lesson that Luke's inclusion of this story was for a far greater purpose than just to highlight that one sister had her priorities straight and the other one just didn't quite get there. I believe that this story should be understood in light of what it means to live a balanced life of loving God and loving others. And so today we are going to be reminded that even though loving God and loving others are two separate commands, neither can be fulfilled without the other. Now Luke includes two stories in chapter 10 that are not found anywhere else in Scripture. The first is the story of the good Samaritan. And the second is the story of Martha and Mary that we're looking at here today. Now, I believe that Luke included these two stories here in chapter 10 together because I believe these two stories belong together. They were meant to be together. And they're a part of a bigger theme, the theme of loving God and loving others. So let's Let's take a look. Number one, loving God. Earlier in chapter 10, Luke records the story of an expert in the law, a, a Jewish, in the Jewish Torah. And he's coming to Jesus and asking Jesus what he, the expert, needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus answered his question as he often answered questions with a question. You know, basically saying, you're an expert in the Torah. What does the Torah say? And he answered, the Torah says to love God and love your neighbor. To which Jesus affirmed, you're right, you got the answer correctly. So do this and you will inherit eternal life. Now the expert in the Torah felt comfortable in the first part because religious leaders associated love for God with studying the Torah and living it out meticulously in everyday life. 
That was the daily focus of his life. So for him, he's comfortable with that one. But it was the second command that caused him some trouble, loving your neighbor. Because as much as religious leaders were known for their love for the Torah, they were equally known for how they mistreated others and looked down on those that they deemed to be less spiritual than they were, the spiritually inferior. And so feeling convicted about this second part, rather than just walking away, he engages this a little more, and he wants to justify his behavior, and so he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, you're, you're probably thinking, I thought this was about Martha and Mary. Well, I'm going to get there, okay? Just, just stay with me. Who is my neighbor, right? And so this is, you know, so Jesus shares this, this story to help him understand because he's not really looking for an answer of who the neighbor is. He's just trying to make himself feel a little better, it seems. So Jesus shared the story that some of us are familiar with, the Good Samaritan. Cole's Notes version. Man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, attacked by robbers, left to die on the side of the road. A priest and a Levi come upon the man, both who loved God and demonstrated their love for God by their devotion, their study uh, of the Torah. And so they saw the man and they passed by. In fact, they crossed the road to avoid the man because engaging him would become very inconvenient. So they crossed the road to the other side and they went on. So a priest did that, a Levi did that. And then we're told, but a Samaritan... Of course, a Samaritan was despised by Jews generally, but especially despised by the experts in the law because they were seen as, 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 as not being on the same page spiritually as the Jewish uh, religious people were, and so they were, they were looked down upon significantly. And so, of course, Jesus decides, right? Jesus decides to poke his finger in the wound and use a Samaritan as his example and says, you know what? Uh, but the Samaritan, well, you know, he, he had pity on the man. He didn't cross to the other side of the road. In fact, he stopped and he put bandages on him and he, he carried him, gave him some of his food and then he took him to an inn and, and he paid in advance for his lodging and his care and said, listen, I got to get on my way here, but when, you know, if, 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 if more costs are racked up, when I come back through, I'll settle it all with you. So Jesus looked at the expert and said, which of these Three was the neighbor. <laughs> I love it. The expert can't even say the word Samaritan, <laughs> right? He goes, well, the one who had mercy on him. Yeah, yeah, right. The Samaritan. That's right. And so Jesus wrapped up this conversation by saying, okay, so go and do likewise. In other words, even though loving God and loving others are two separate commands, neither can be fulfilled without the other. Secondly, loving others. Now, it would seem that the story of the expert in the Torah and the Good Samaritan is over, and the story of Martha and Mary begins, and that the two stories are not connected in any way. We, we often see them as just completely different stories that one doesn't have anything to do with the other. But I'd like to suggest that even though Luke finishes with the Good Samaritan portion of the story, the story of Martha and Mary is connected to the story of the Good Samaritan, specifically the same theme of loving God and loving others in balance. 
that theme is continuing here. And so the expert in the law was an example of putting too much emphasis on loving God by studying the scriptures and trying to live a holy life while neglecting to love those around him and demonstrate mercy in his life. I believe that Martha is an example of the opposite. Placing so much emphasis on providing care for Jesus, serving Jesus and his disciples, that she neglects to find the balance with loving God. And so Martha had received, we're told, Jesus and his companions into her home. And she was preparing food for her guests. Now, Martha was committed to her responsibility to care for her guests, but she seemed to get a little carried away. I understand this because when I make food, I get carried away. Just this week, we had a family gathering and no exaggeration. There was enough food left over to feed them all all over again. Just got a little carried away. She's carried away. She's not providing a basic meal. According to Jesus' own words, she has taken on many things. Rather than keeping it simple with minimal things or one thing. Now, as a result, Martha has become distracted, we're told, and was focusing too heavily on preparing and caring for her guests. Martha reached the point of frustration because she had taken on more than she could handle. Anyone here get frustrated when you take on more than you can handle? Right? How how many of you spouses appreciate it when your other spouse points that out? No, I didn't think so. Seeing her sister Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of helping her fueled her frustration and her resentment. And so she came to Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you care that I am working so hard to take care of you, to provide for you, to serve you, and my sister is just sitting there at your feet? Martha wants Jesus to choose between her and her sister, to see that her gift of hospitality was better and to make that known, not only to affirm it in her, but make it known to everybody, especially her sister, by telling her sister to help her. Now, Jesus refused to choose. Instead, he asked Martha to make a choice, to choose between many things and one thing, to simplify her approach to caring for him so that she could find the balance. The expert emphasized loving God at the expense of loving others. Martha emphasized loving others at the cost of loving God. And once again, we are reminded by Luke that even though loving God and loving others are two separate commands, neither can be fulfilled without the other. Thirdly, loving God and others. And so while Martha chose to take on too much and become overwhelmed by the demands to finish what she set out to do, Mary chose to separate herself from her sister and sit at Jesus' feet and listen. Now, what Mary is doing here is significant because sitting at someone's feet 
That's discipleship action. And so in these, in the days when this was taking place, when this was written, disciples sat at the feet of their rabbi so they could learn from them. Paul says himself, he said, I sat, Paul, at the feet of Gamaliel. That was, that was his story. And so Mary, being a disciple of Jesus, she's sitting at his feet, listening to him, learning from him, hearing what he's saying, drawing that into her life. Sitting at his feet demonstrated a devotion to him, a commitment to him. So clearly, Mary is loving God as demonstrated by her commitment to Jesus and her desire to learn and to do what Jesus is teaching. Now, at first glance, we might interpret this story to mean that sitting at Jesus' feet as Mary did is more important than serving Jesus like Martha did. At first glance, we might look at this and say, well, isn't Mary doing, you know, the same thing that the expert in the law did? Focusing on loving God at the expense of serving and caring others? I would suggest if you take a closer look, it will actually reveal that Mary is loving God and loving others. So this is how I come to that conclusion. In the English translation that we find in our Bibles of this scripture, we read that Martha invited Jesus into her home and was caring for him. And in that same sentence that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And so in reading this in the English language, it would appear that each one is doing something completely different. Martha's preparing, Mary is sitting. But in the original Greek language, where this scripture was written, included in that sentence is the word also. Also. And so if you were to read this in the original Greek, it would say that Martha had invited Jesus into her home and she was preparing for him and that Mary also sat at his feet, inferring that she was helping with the preparations, implying that she was a part of those preparations at one point, but eventually shifted to sitting at his feet while Martha kept focusing on the serving part. And so I believe that Mary is the example in this story of one who understood that even though loving God and loving others are two separate commands, neither can be fulfilled without the other. Mary, in this story, is actually doing what the, the expert in the law and Martha were not doing. She was finding the the way to live these two commands out in tandem, in balance, loving God and loving others, making room and priority for both. When Jesus told Martha that Mary had chosen what was better, we often take that in the language to mean he's, he's saying her sitting here is the better approach. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that sitting at his feet is more important than serving him. He's not saying that. He's saying in the fact that she was able to focus on both, that's the better part. Now, I believe that one of the greatest challenges we face as human beings on a day-to-day -day basis is finding balance in every area of our lives. That's an area that most of us struggle with. 
balance. Our tendency is to shift in one direction or the other. And I believe that the same is true when it comes to loving God and loving others. It's not easy to live that in tandem or balance. Some of us find it easier to drift towards the loving God end of the spectrum. Some of us find that easier and, and than we do to drift towards the loving others. We're disciplined in reading the Bible, disciplined in prayer and in study and, and attending spiritual gatherings, all wonderful demonstrations of our love for God. And so there are some of us that that's where we tend to gravitate. But despite our disciplines in all of these areas, sometimes we find it difficult to embrace others with the love and the grace of God, to offer forgiveness, to practically involve ourselves in the lives of others. And so sometimes we're drawn to that at the cost of this. Now, like the expert in the law, we sometimes think that this approach is actually more spiritual. And I've heard that so many times for people, that it's the greater of the two. And, and sometimes we justify ourselves for being out of balance by making statements of, well, if I'm going to go too far in any direction, I'm going to go too far in loving God. Now, other of us, others of us find it easier to drift towards the loving others end of the spectrum. We want to embrace people. We want to love on people. We want to meet their needs. We want to rescue them from harmful situations. We want to make sure that the hungry are fed and the homeless find shelter. And these two are all wonderful activities and passions and priorities. But sometimes we become so focused on our compassion and our care for others that we, we don't have, there's not enough of us left or enough of our time left or enough desire left to spend time reading the word of God or in prayer or study or, or gathering in spiritual environments. Focusing on our own spiritual growth because we are so caught up in helping those who need help. We sometimes feel that our compassion and care approach is more spiritual since the church is often so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. And so that's our justification. What I want us to see today, that both of these approaches, loving God and loving others, they're not in competition. And both of them can take us away from God's intention if we pursue one at the cost of the other. And so like Mary, God requires us to, to, to serve him and love others while at the same time, finding time to sit at his feet. According to Jesus, the good part, the priority is learning to both love God and others without sacrificing the other. As hard as that is sometimes to do. The interesting thing I see when I read Jesus' teaching on loving God and loving others is the absence of selfishness because you can't do either one of those well if your focus is on yourself. And so finding the balance between loving God and loving others will only be realized when we focus our lives on God and others and not on ourselves. 
I'm going to invite our worship team back. So in conclusion today, as I look back over my own personal journey of faith, I can see in my life how the pendulum has swung to different priorities in my life and ministry over the years. For many years of my life, my primary focus was on the loving God side while not really focusing on the loving other side. Really, it was. I mean, I was able to talk a good talk and justify how I spent my life, but the truth be told, I knew deep down that I was not living the loving God or loving others command the way Jesus wanted me to, that I just wasn't doing enough in that area. So I decided to devote my focus on loving others more, becoming more passionate about the practical needs of others and the importance of social justice. I'd like to tell you that that came easily, but it came with a lot of judgment from some people, I guess spiritual people, because there was a sense that I was somehow selling out the gospel, right? You're selling out the gospel. Like many of you, I have a tendency to go too far in different directions. And I realize that I need to be careful because I could just as easy go too far with the loving others' priority at the cost of loving God. So most days I find myself focused on trying to be focused, to be balanced, trying to be deliberate on that, allowing God's love in me and my love for God to shape how I love others, to not embrace one at the cost of the other because it's not either or. The focus is not on is it more important to love God or love others because it's both. One can't exist without the other. If you love God, you cannot help but love people the way God loves them. In 1 John chapter 4, 7 and verse 8, the author says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So those who love, it's because they know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. These two are inseparable, loving God and loving others. And so even though loving God and loving others are two separate commands, neither can be fulfilled without the other. Would you stand with me this morning as Carlene leads us before we conclude in prayer today?
Lasting on